0: I do think passion is something that comes and goes, meaning that there are points in my life where, yes, undoubtedly writing is my passion. I know this for a fact. However, sometimes, you know, you get exhausted with your own passion. You know, if I'm doing it too many days in a row, it's not I'm not as passionate about it per se. So it's sort of something that ignites, like you mentioned, the mastery effect. I mean, I think I'm I'm as good as I'm going to get in terms of a writing perspective. But now I don't write as much as I used to. So the passion comes from, in part, sneaking it in. I know that makes doesn't may not make sense, but it's true. A lot of times I edit or I'm screening films or I don't get to write as much as I used to. So part of the passion comes from being able to get excited about the fact that I'm getting to do something. On the other side of the fence, I think passion's also rooted from whatever it is that touches your heart.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Hero Show. My name is, of course, Richard Matthews, and today I have the pleasure of having Cindy Mish on the line. Cindy, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. So, where are you? Uh, where are you calling in from today, Cindy?
0: I am in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is pretty rare these days because I travel so much. But yes, Midwestern girl is in her living room, excited for the show.
1: So, my first question for you: um, Are you a native Wisconsin?
0: I am sorry to say, I shouldn't say that. I absolutely love Wisconsin. Yeah. Born and raised so, here. I've been here my whole life.
1: My first college roommate was from Wisconsin. Um, and he cracked me up because I had never, I'd never been out of Southern California and we met in college. And he was my first, my first like non-Californian friend. Um, oh, cool. And, and he used to say things that cracked me up. He would say uh, um, he, like the bag and the flag and the tag, like all those things, because the Wisconsin Wisconsin dialect doesn't really make the A sound that the rest of the country is used to. Huh. It's all an E sound. Do you do you do that yourself?
0: Uh, no, actually, I can't say that I do. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I've been to New York so much that I'm probably starting to get their New York accent. So.
1: New York accent, yeah. I'm changing. Uh, yeah. Um, and then the other funny thing that happened meeting my first Wisconsin person is um, we were in college and, you know, it was right before winter started um, and- he asks me if I'm prepared for winter. And I said, of course, I'm prepared for winter. I, I went to the store in California before we came out here. And I got an ice scraper. And you know, I got a jacket and he's like, let me see your ice scraper. And I pull out my ice scraper, which in California is basically a credit card with a handle. It's like, oh, It's like, you know, two by three with a little tiny handle and you put it in your thing to get, you know, occasionally you get a little frost in the morning. It takes two seconds to scrape off kind of thing. And he laughs at me. He laughed at me for like a week every time he looked at me. Um, And he comes back from the store one day and he brings me an ice scraper, like a real one. And it's three feet long and it's got a big metal claw on one end and a big big brush on the other end. And he's like, take this, put it in your car. And I was like, WTF is that? Right. (laughs) And he was like. This is a real ice scraper, and I promise you're going to need it.
0: Oh, yes.
1: Yes. Um, and the first better. snowstorm we had, we were in Missouri, but the first snowstorm we had, um, I was very appreciative that he bought me a real ice scraper because I never hey. would have come by with my little credit card thing. There you go. California boy not prepared for winter. Uh, So uh, what I want to do before we get too far into the interview is a quick introduction for you. So you are the founder of the Art is Alive magazine. Is that right?
0: That is correct. Yes.
1: And to start off the show, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys do at the Art is Alive and who you serve, what your products and services are and that kind of stuff.
0: Okay, gotcha. Well, the Art is Alive magazine is the most recent venture that I've done. I've been um, a journalist for probably three quarters of my life, probably since the age of 15 on. Uh, So I do almost anything and everything that allows me to write. So the magazine itself is kind of a culmination of I started the Art is Alive Film Festival, I wrote for various newspapers and magazines for years, and then eventually I decided that I wanted to write whatever I wanted, and I wanted to showcase whomever I chose. So uh, most of the time, all the people I work with are either entertainment-based or artist-based, actors, authors, nonprofits, charities, small businesses. So basically, you could say that I have a heart for the little guy. Anybody who's indie, and of course, on the celebrity side now too, I'll cover if I find them interesting or inspirational or entertaining.
1: Nice. Um, And so how long have you been running the Art is Alive magazine?
0: Well, we're a little over a year now. um, And so it's been exciting and exhausting. I have to tell you this issue. I think I'm writing half of the magazine, which tends to happen sometimes because it's tough. It's hard to it's hard to solicit and find writers. You have writers that come and go. That's part of the mystique of my magazine is that we have newbies that come in, sometimes no publications under their belts. I publish them for the first time. They move on. Somebody new comes in. So it's kind of neat watching the fluctuation and, and trying to see where we're going to end up faring is interesting to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. So just... From, you know, a uh, a digital perspective, how much of how much digital distribution versus old school distribution do you have for your magazine nowadays?
0: Well, to be honest with you, surprisingly, we have a good number of subscribers now. Um, you know, we have about sixty three hundred a month that read the magazine, and I've done eight issues so far, so that's not too terribly bad. Um, that's I'd like good, to see. Actually. Well, thank you. In print, I'd like to see it higher. You know, that's the hard part is is I haven't really had enough time to do a formal event where you print out thousands of copies and sell them because I usually tie events to my other entities. So for right now, the digital is doing really well. Um, I'm guessing that's probably because we're you know we've been in. Quarantine quarantine and a pandemic going on, et cetera. So my hope is, is to build up the print version because I'm old school. I still read a newspaper. I still buy a magazine. I want print media to succeed.
1: Yeah. So, so mo- what, what's your like percentage of print versus digital right now?
0: Oh God, so clearly it's like 80-20 right now, which is sad for me. I mean, I keep trying to- You'd like to
1: be better there.
0: like 50-50? Oh, you betcha. And there's no lying about it, kids. I mean, it's more expensive to print, obviously. You, yeah, know, you go yeah. online, there's not a lot of costs involved with hosting, et cetera, but I want to take the cost on, if that makes sense to you. I would prefer to print out a magazine. I like the look of it. I like the feel of it. I like people having coffee and reading it, that sort of thing. I mean, I'll take a read one way or the other. As long as they're reading it, as long as 6,000 people are seeing it, I'm happy.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you. So I want to start with how you got into this whole business, right? We call it um, you know, the origin story, right? Every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's yes. the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And we want to hear your story. Were you born a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into journalism? <laughs> um, or did you start in a job and eventually move to becoming an entrepreneur? You know, basically, we want to know where you came from.
0: Well, you know, I hate to say it, but some of us heroes come from the darkest of circumstances. In fact, oftentimes tragedy uh, befalls us. And and so this particular hero came from lots of tragedy at a young age. Um, and I think that kind of changes you and makes you very tough on the inside to begin with. And then you kind of warm thereafter. So hopefully you can figure out who my superhero is. It's pretty evident if you know me. Um, so I kind of came from that background where uh, things are very limited and and very hard from the get go. So as a child, I decided I wanted to be an artist. So then I used to draw all the time. And then I realized I was really bad at it. So at some point, I looked in the mirror at about eight, nine years of of age and said, Okay, so I can't draw spiders for the rest of my life. What can I do to try to feel better about myself and to try to help the world around me? I started writing. And then at age 15, I won my first award. And then um, out of high school, uh, I decided I was going to go to journalism school. Never finished, but eventually became a journalist. So, I mean, my starts came from very dark places. and And I think that sometimes going back to those dark places, you know, was inevitable. But it makes me a much better, much stronger, much more effective writer.
1: So, so you had had some issues in the past that turned, helped you get into uh, journalism. So Mm -hmm. my, my question then is, how did you go from I'm going to be a writer to I want to do film and run my own magazines and actually become (laughs) a, uh, an entrepreneur?
0: Well, I think um, what happens is over over time at least in my particular case, when you have tragedies or very difficult things in life, you try to find something that's a solace to you. For me personally, I think what happens is, is that whenever I write anything, I get that tingle in my tummy, which is what we call passion. And that means I know exactly what I'm doing and that I'm thrilled by doing it. And not only that, the effect and the impact that I've heard that I have with my words is is profound. So oftentimes in the darkest of circumstances, I end up writing pieces or or delving very deep into my passion, and it's sort of a rescue for me, so to speak. So I'm kind of a hero that gets rescued by her own passion and then in turn takes that passion and rescues other people, if that makes sense to you. Um, but the reality of the situation is, is that these very dark places kind of forced me to have to find something to escape to. Otherwise, I pretty much would be in a, in a loony bin, so to speak. So um, I built a very big career sort of to shield me from some of the sadder things in life.
1: That makes sense. So I have I have a, a question for you that's sure. sort of based around the passion thing. And it's it's a theory I have. Okay. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts on it. So my, my theory has to do with passion. And a lot of people think that passion is something that you are born with. And I sort of have a contention that passion is something you develop via mastery. So my, mm-hmm. my theory is that um, mastery begets passion. And the better you either are or get at something, the more passionate you become about it. Um, And I've noticed that with my children in my own life, that as um, things that I get, as as I sort of, you know, stack the skills, so to speak, in an area, I get more passionate about that area. Hmm. Um, And I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I think I would tend to concur with you to some degree. I mean, I I do think passion is something that comes and goes, meaning that there are points in my life where yes, undoubtedly writing is my passion. I know this for a fact. However, sometimes, you know, you get exhausted with your own passion. You know, if I'm doing it too many days in a row, it's not, I'm not as passionate about it per se. So it's sort of something that ignites, like you mentioned, the mastery effect. I mean, I think I'm, a, I'm as good as I'm gonna get in terms of a writing perspective, but now I don't write as much as I used to. So the passion comes from in part sneaking it in. I know that makes doesn't may not make sense, but it's true. A lot of times I edit or I'm screening films or I don't get to write as much as I used to. So part of the passion comes from being able to get excited about the fact that I'm getting to do something. On the other side of the fence, I think passion's also rooted from whatever it is that touches your heart. If you walk away from something where you're like, oh, and you've got those goosebumps for whatever reason, it could be your kids, it could be a a life moving experience. Um, I was visited by a ghost not so long ago. So now I've become somewhat passionate about trying to figure out somebody's trying to say something to me or tell me something or whatever. So I think you're at least 50% right in that um, the better you get at something and especially something you love, the passion grows and grows and grows. However, at my old age, now I'm coming to learn that you can grow new passions based upon new things, kind of you go in new directions, all of a sudden you realize, hmm, I could grow to be passionate about this too. So I'm probably going to be an 80 year old hippie who's now passionate about 75 things. Makes
1: sense. <laughs> yep. I sort of, I'm in the same boat, maybe not on the, the age category yet, but like I'm constantly in the sort of the process of like, I wonder if I could learn how to do that thing. Right. Uh, and then you get, as you, you start some of it, sometimes you realize like, Hey, I'm not going to be good at this and it's hard. Sure. And then other times you're like, you're like, I, I've got a, I've got a knack for this. And you start doing it and getting better at it. And the better you get at it, the more passionate you get about it. And it's sort of sure. like how you develop extracurricular hobbies, so to speak. <laughs>
0: Lots of extracurricular hobbies sometimes, but you know what girls is important. I think as you age growing and expanding out your interests and your knowledge level are important. So nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your superpowers, which I think you might've hinted to a little bit already, but every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's a fancy flying suit made by a genius intellect um, or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength or something in the real Mm -hmm. world. Heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you are either born with, or you developed over time that energize all of your other skills. And the superpower is what sets you apart. It allows you to help your people slay their villains and come out on top in their own journeys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I like to frame it is if you look at all the skills you've developed over your life, there's probably one thing that's kind of like the common thread, the thing that empowers everything else. Mm. And with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is?
0: Well, um, I think I've been told it repeatedly and I didn't really quite notice this before and I have a very hard time embracing it. I'll be the first one to tell you just because people say that I have it doesn't mean that I can actually possess it, which is, I am told I have an innate ability to constantly pull someone forward. Perfect strangers, other people. It uh, could be words, could be something I posted, could be something I said. Um, I'm always looking for the the better part, and I always see the better part of everyone all of the time, even when it's most difficult. Um, there is a superhero we all know who does that all of the time, which I get called all of the time too, which is quite a compliment. Uh, Wonder Woman always sees the good in everyone. She's always pushing for love, and and I too am the same in that. Uh, For years and years and years, I'm always trying to inspire people so much so that very recently someone had said to me, you don't know this, but what you've done literally literally saved my life, period. That's probably the highest compliment I could possibly ever get. Um, So yeah, I think my superpower is just that ability to lift people up even from the darkest of places.
1: Yeah, I I love that superpower. I had a a mentor of mine when I was young tell me I had the uh, gift of encouragement Ah. And I think it's, it's seeing, seeing the potential in people. Not a lot of, not a lot of people have that skill to see potential, right? They can, some people, just most people, actually, they see the world the way it is, not the way Mm -hmm. that it could be. And they see people the way they are, not the way that they could be. Um, and what's interesting, I think, is when you see potential and you speak that potential to someone, you have the ability to speak truth into their lives, right? To to help them grow into that potential. Yeah. Uh, and and you you literally change people's lives with the words that you say to them, um, which is which is I think if there's any sort of superpower, that's one of the most magical ones. <laughs>
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. And now, especially in this day and age, you know, with the way things are right now, people need so much more encouragement and inspiration. And they need to know that there is good inside of them and that they haven't lost themselves. I think that's very important.
1: And that their story is worthy and that their perspective and their, you know, the the person that the life that they're living has value and that value can be given to other people.
0: Absolutely, without a doubt, you betcha. That's kind of what the magazine is all about. I like to shine a light on people that normally would have a really tough time getting coverage or frus- or get frustrated and say, "No one will tell my story," or "No one wants to see what I do." I want to see what you do. I think it's important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, one of the things that um, I was warned about as a as a young kid in that. Sort of realm was my my mentor told me I had the gift of encouragement. Is he also said he said be careful of what you say, because people will listen to you, and Mm -hmm. change their lives accordingly. And I remember I was seventeen when he told me that, and I was just I shrugged it shrugged it off, and I was like, yeah, whatever, no one's ever going to listen to me. (laughs) Sure. Uh, And then a couple of years down the line, I had some experiences where I you know people came to me for counsel and had that kind of you know relationship and. And then they changed their lives and changed their actions based on conversations we had. And it struck me really hard. Like, Oh man, I do actually have to like pay attention to what you say to people. Sure. Um, especially if you have that gift of encouragement. And I'm, I'm curious if you've ever sort of run into that yourself and realized the weight of that responsibility.
0: Every day, actually, uh, surprisingly, uh, I think one of the hardest parts about uh, journalism in general is this. Uh, I think many times that we can be misconstrued. Um, I am an extremely passionate journalist. So whatever I advocate for, I'm very strong about it. Meaning, for instance, like I do a lot of TV and film reviews. And oftentimes people say, I started watching the show or I watch this because of your influence. That's positive influence. You know, we live in a world right now where things it's very hard to be a journalist right now because people always look at you and they're wondering and questioning now, which is not something we did. We always had. So yeah. yes, it, it wasn't until recently that I really realized how many people actually listen to everything that I say. Um, so I've kind of had to take a step back and say to myself, Think before you talk. And that is not something Cindy does well. Um, I'm very passionate and I run with my heart. You know, I'm a heart thinker. So automatically it's this desire to, boom, I have to say this. No, you don't. You can think about it first, you know, or you can be passionate about it and put it in a different way. So, yes, I realize my responsibility. I take it very seriously. I try to use it for good you know, almost always for good. Um, There are points in time where we all fail and falter, we have bad days, bad things happen. Um, You know, there's a lot of bad things, very sad, tragic things happening that people have a lot to say. So yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things I'm learning is use it wisely and responsibly, um, and take good care of your audience. Don't steer them in, you know, negative directions.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's it's just an interesting thing, especially when you start having an audience of people who listens to you. I think that's probably even more difficult than one-on-one because you don't get to see the impact you're having on all the people.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, so <laughs> it's like an unknown have- quantity. <laughs>
0: It is. I mean, and I kind of like radio that way, because you know what, this for me is much more nerve wracking. I've been in front of the camera way too much lately. And truth be told, it makes me terribly nervous, which is why I'm not an actor. Um, But I'll do it. You know, I I realize that people like to see you, etc. But yeah, sometimes it's nice to be on the radio and be like, Oh, I'd love to be able to see what they think. But then they send me notes. or they'll, you know, "Oh, I heard the show today, blah, blah, blah. So feedback is feedback.
1: (laughs) So I wanna talk about the flip side of your superpower, which of course is your fatal flaw. And you know, every Superman has his kryptonite and every Wonder Woman, I'm sure you know, can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad. Um, yeah. so you probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, something that you've struggled with. Maybe it's perfectionism, that's something I struggled with um, uh-huh. that kept me from you know shipping product actually finishing things or lack of self-care, which led to me letting my clients walk all over me. Yes. <laughs> I mean not having good boundaries and stuff like that. Uh, but I think more important than what the flaw is is how have you learned to overcome it or rectify it so you can continue to grow? Um, and you know, hopefully our audience can learn a little bit from your experience there.
0: Well, I think um, Just like with Wonder Woman, I'm kind of the same, which is when you are deeply innately are well aware of the fact that you love very hard and you're very passionate and you're very protective, sometimes those qualities can be very difficult. Case in point, most of what I do is work in entertainment. Um, I'm a, I am take a lot of things very personally. And that's one of two things I've learned to shelf. I cannot ingest everything anymore. Perfect strangers who say things about my work and my reputation, I have to learn to let it go, just like I work with my better half. I have to learn to let that go when people criticize that sort of stuff. You have to learn to not constantly be affected by every single element around you. I even remember that Wonder Woman in the movie where she's just, she can't help herself. She's like, I wanna save everybody. And you know what, I can't save everybody. I can't cover every story. I can't be you know, so wrinkled by the feathers of every single thing that happens all the time. On the flip side of the fence, procrastination. Oh my gosh, I am so horrid with this. I will wait till like two hours before I have to do something and it's due. I've had weeks and then I'm like, wait but I hate to admit it the best work I've ever done is done like that is when it's I have no more time I can't screw around anymore you know so um I need to learn how to prepare better. You know, Wonder Woman would never wake up in the morning and be like, hmm, I have to think about this and figure it out for, you know, and, and put it off and put it off. You know, she'd be like, boom, let's handle this. So um, I and especially for writers that might be listening to this, it's super important. Some of the best pieces take a lot of research, a lot of time pondering. Um, and your brain doesn't always work, at least for us writers, you know your brain isn't on 24 and, seven. And if I get emotionally involved with everything going on in the world, I, I physically cannot write, I can't write well. So it's important that you set up a system, stop the procrastination. And most importantly, not everything can take an emotional toll on you. Otherwise you can't do what you love or you can, but you won't do it as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I know the procrastination bit is hard, especially about writing for me, at least. Um, I know, uh, because I do a lot of writing for my business where I'm like, I'm either writing lessons or writing training or writing stuff. Um, You know, we travel full time, which I mentioned, I'm in the process of writing a book about that. Uh Uh, And I know like my, my biggest struggle with writing and why I come down with procrastination stuff is like, I feel like it's hard to write without having the... Without being in like the right emotional state to write. Oh, if that makes sense.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Um,
1: and I haven't yet figured out how to put myself into the right emotional state to write. I just know when it happens, I need to sit down and write. Right. So I've, I'm curious if you have any techniques as a professional writer to put yourself into that on state where you're like, where the, where the words flow and you can actually get the writing you need done.
0: Oh, you bet. I always have the four go-tos, as I call it. First of all, I don't know how Lady Gaga and some of those other people do it because some musicians talk a lot about how they do their best writing when they're drinking. I'm here to tell you I have a solid rule where whenever I'm in a deep mode, especially when I know I'm writing something or I've started, absolutely no alcohol because it affects your brain. I mean, afterwards, sure, if I want to have a little wine, that's fine, but absolutely not. It just interferes with what's going on up here. So no alcohol, number two. Fall in love, that'll definitely help. Um, I'm crazy mad about my own children, that helps. But, uh, you know, almost three years ago, I met Him, the one. So um, I think that always helps. Whenever you are deeply in love with someone, that's kind of enrooted in you, and it just you know you just feel better about you and life in general. That definitely helps. Number three, whenever you're writing, try to write about anything or everything that fascinates you. Like I know that when I interview somebody, that I'm a little less excited. It's good, but it it could be better. You know what I'm saying? So genuinely look for anything that intrigues you. And the more difficult it seems, the better it is for you. So I do believe in challenges and pushing yourself. And then last of all, um, it's okay. And I used to hate this, but it's true. It's okay to not get it done on time. If you get writer's block, it's okay to walk away. It's okay to put it down. It's okay to stop obsessing. That's another thing. I added things to the point where I'm like, Oh my God, enough, like get a divorce from this already. I, you know, it's important if you're going to do really good, solid writing, know when enough is enough. And you'll know when that is you'll learn to be able to say, I have to leave you alone and move on to the next thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know for me, one of the things that uh, I I know when it's done is when I can read it out loud. Li- read it out loud to someone else.
0: Sure. Oh, absolutely. I agree.
1: And I agree. so, like, I am not sure if that's a normal writing thing, but I always try I always try to write as if you were reading a story around a campfire, like telling oh, a story. That's, that's
0: different. Yeah, that's yeah, not something I've done.
1: It's it's just it's just a thing in my head that um, and right or wrong, it's just the way I approach my writing is that you know, human beings are story-born people, right? We've we've carried all of our history through stories and stories have constantly been told, you know, around the campfire or whatever the analogous is of around the campfire of telling, you know, listening to the uh, troubadour come and tell the stories. So anytime I write, I always, I stop and I'll read it out loud. And, you know, if I don't like the way it sounds out loud, I'll rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it until it sounds good out loud. Um, Mm -hmm. And then when I I finish a piece, if I can read it to my wife and it flows the way I want, that's when I know it's done.
0: Very (laughs) nice. I'll have to, I'll have to give that a try. I have read some pieces, but it's few and far between. Like I said, probably because I'm just self-conscious and I'm like, I don't know, I'll probably hack it apart when I read it in person. So, but I will try that more and more. It's probably not a bad idea.
1: Uh, it's just, it's just a thing that I've, I've tried, and I know, like when I nail it, when it comes, when it, when you can speak it well, the story, the story hits people. It's engaging. Yes. Um, that's what I want, right? And but if it's engaging out loud, it'll be engaging in their head when they read it.
0: Absolutely. So. You bet.
1: That's a uh, that's my goal, anyways. But sometimes that helps me. <laughs>
0: <Good for laughs> but I love you. your
1: tips, by the way. That's uh, those you. are those are great tips for writing. Um, I've never had one, been one much for the alcohol stuff, so I don't have to worry about that uh. too much. But the uh, um, the rest of them are all really solid tips, and particularly the thing about falling in love. I've never thought about it that way, but I I know I've noticed that the things that I enjoy. Right, we talked mm-hmm. about passion before. The things that you're actually in love with. You know, I love writing about my children and our stories and the stuff that we do together. I love yeah. writing about monetary history, which I think other people find incredibly boring, but it fascinates mm. me to no end. So I like writing about that um, and travel um, and those kind of things. Uh, and like anytime I get into a subject that I love, mm-hmm. it's easier to put yourself in that, you know, to turn yourself on, right? To get yourself right. into the mode of writing.
0: Absolutely. Without a doubt. You bet. Find the things that, that make your tummy tickle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk next about your common enemy. And this will be interesting because you're in the entertainment industry, right? So every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? And it's a thing that they're finally, they're constantly fighting against in their world. In the world of business, it takes on a lot of forms, but generally speaking, we put it in the context of your clients, or in this case, maybe your readers or the people who are watching your entertainment that you're putting together. Sure. Um, and it's a mindset, it's a flaw that you're constantly have to fight to overcome. So you can actually give them the value that you you came to give, right, which in your case is entertainment. So what what do you think your common enemy is as someone who's in the entertainment industry?
0: Oh boy, I'm not so sure if people are going to like this, but this is kind of the hard truth, and I and I I I've been grappling with this for quite some time. Uh, I remember being eight years old, and one of the things that I remember very very vividly—that's why I got into being a film judge and having a festival—is I love cinema, I love movies, I love going to movies. I I dreamt of being on a red carpet and meeting these celebrities, etc. So all of my life, I've waited to do what I do now. Um, yeah, and then you come to find out that the enemy, in in a lot of ways, is what you've idolized for such a very long time. Um, there are realities of Hollywood that are very uh, against my grain in a lot of ways, and I didn't realize just how much so until the last year or two. Um, I wouldn't exactly call them my enemy. I would say I've wanted to be in their realm for a very long time and I work in the indie world. So we in the indie world are always trying to become a part of them. Um, And it's very difficult because they push you down farther and farther. They make it harder to come into their realm. They make it very difficult to be respected in their world. Um, and I don't think it's their fault. I think, uh, people who end up in Hollywood and who do very well successfully, um, are kind of controlled to a certain extent by higher powers that be. So that's Mm -hmm. really where my real enemy lies is the controlling, uh, forces in Hollywood who, um, make it their business to award people, not so much for their talent, but more so about the dollars and cents and things in the box office, things like that. The politics of Hollywood is my enemy, basically long story short. Um, And I'm not giving up on, uh, you know, I'm not going to give up on continuing to try to make our world equal with their world to some extent, because there's a lot of talent. There's a tremendous amount of talent and entertainment that's not getting seen. And people like myself and many others I know are working very hard to get them seen, Um, you know. So the closest I've gotten to beating them. Is joining them. So uh, the last two years of my festival, I have Oscar nominated movies and I have people from Cannes and Sundance and AFI at my festival. So we're merging slowly, (laughs) slowly, (laughs) but surely.
1: It's an interesting thing, too, right? Because Hollywood is like one of the cultural pillars of the world. Yeah, you know, it's it's Hollywood, it's academia, um, it's social media, and you know those kind of things. They're like the big cultural pillars. Yes. And one of the things that I've seen with Hollywood since I started paying attention to the world mm. is that Hollywood is very—I don't know what you call it. It's 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 like monolithic kind of thing, where it's all sort of one like ideology. Um, and if you don't fit in that ideology, the stories don't get told.
0: Absolutely. And I also Uh, think, yeah, I think there's an agenda there and it's, it's getting worse in terms of that. The people that are controlling are becoming more controlling now with the way things are changing. I almost feel like Hollywood doesn't have a choice, but to change at this point with this whole crisis that happened in the last year, there's a lot of things coming out of the woodwork that need to be addressed that hopefully will be addressed. There are. You know, there's certain things. I'm curious to see how the Oscars are. I mean, part of me doesn't want to watch because I've been waiting my whole life to win one. I'm not so sure I want to win one anymore because I know what that means. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they develop um, and change things and alter their world. Um, Plus, you know, nowadays, you know, they're not making as many movies for practicality purposes. You know, Mm -hmm. there aren't as many projects coming out. Theaters are falling and crumbling. So we'll just see how Hollywood fares and perhaps this superhero will start prevailing, so to speak, and they'll have no choice uh, I, but it's over.
1: I think one of the things that has happened um, and which, and, and it, I, I could be wrong about this. It's just my prediction on the future <laughs> is that the global pandemic in, in the process of destroying theaters has leveled the playing field for distribution on movies. And, yes and no. it, 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 like, I don't know that we're there yet, but it's going to happen where you know, cause now, you know, your distribution platforms, they're all digital, right? So if you can get the, uh,
0: well, I wouldn't exactly go that far. I mean, remember, you're talking to a woman who, and I'm a staunch supporter of this. Like when I say I'm really v- vigilant about these sorts of things, I am. The idea of people wanting to screen a movie like on HBO Max drives me nuts. Like I can't stand this whole ideology of, let's just watch Wonder Woman 84 on, on an HBO Max. No, you get up and you go to a theater because that's what you do. Cinema is a live experience. So Absolutely. I literally have invested in, and I am now a working traveling drive-in theater so you could in essence get distribution from me as a drive-in theater and i go place to place i have a whole inflatable screen a projector i even have a canopy tent the whole nine yards i go to great lengths to preserve cinema cinema should be preserved it should be kept in a theater it should be done like marty scorsese says it belongs in a theater um so you know i mean it's
1: it's, the, the the art is the art is meant for that medium
0: Oh, God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at Wonder Woman. When you watch it on TV and you watch it on a big screen, there's no comparison. It's like watching Marvel movies on a small screen or a laptop, you know, or, or Gone with the Wind. Nobody would watch Gone with the Wind at home, for God's sake. You go to a theater. You need to experience the sound. You need to be in a theater environment. You know, that's but that's me. You know what I mean? That's what I'm so, talking
1: about. So how, how do you how do you think the, the crumbling theater industry is going to deal with that? In, well, in the new world.
0: They're getting creative. I'm not the only person that's seeing people do outdoor cinema of some type or, or, you know, back years ago, people were doing it. I've done film festivals and bars, restaurants, galleries, etc. You know, you have to acclimate. Um, and some that are believers like I am will continue to do whatever you can. The other part of the problem is, which of my other f- festival founders will hate hearing, but it's the truth. I I work with a lot of festival founders and in general they are jumping to virtual and that's not helping. That is not helping the theater industry. People have got to be willing to go outside of their comfort level to some degree to preserve what we have, you know, and I don't see anything unsafe or inappropriate about going outside in the fresh air and sitting outside and putting on a blanket and having some food and taking your kids and watching a movie. It's very healthy. So do you think,
1: do you think with, like, like I was saying earlier, that with a lot of the, the bigger distribution channels sort of crumbling, that people mm-hmm. like you are going to open up the, the Hollywood monolith to those stories that don't get the chance to get told as much on a, on a larger scale than they would have, you know, 10 years ago?
0: I do. Th- I think that there's a chance, but I, I will tell you very honestly, because I get told this all of the time, you know, Hollywood and Hollywood films do well because people want to go watch Robert Downey Jr. And I love Robert Downey Jr. I love Thor. I love Wonder Woman. So, you know, the game is still kind of the game until you, you know, indie people are constantly using recognizables. I feel like it's never going to be on the same plateau. I mean, sure, I think that there's a better chance for people like myself to, you know, get in, in league with Hollywoods and deal with that. But, you know, that's money and there's lots of political things that get involved with that. So... It's very yeah. slowly, slowly, slowly changing. You know, it's so kind it's, of the same thing it, because
1: it's, it's not, it's not always like you. Great stories don't win because they're great stories, because you have the marketing side of like you have to get people to see the great story, and that's where you called them the recognizables. So I've never heard it used, that term before. Oh,
0: I mean, come it's to my industry. Get people to see the story. Oh God, yeah. Work in my industry for a week. That's all you'll ever hear. How many recognizables are in here? And how many social media followers do they have? I can't even believe that people are getting cast or even considered because their social media following is like eight hundred thousand, which is ridiculous. Um, the long story short is is I this is why I'm a very bad filmmaker. I am a writer. I took a beautiful story that I wrote for my partner, turned it into a television series, and then actors change it. And then writers get resentful. Well, in this case, I got a bit resentful because I'm like, oh, this beautiful thing. I get it. It has to change. Actors change it. They bring a lot to the table and they did. But make no mistake that when you create something and try to build it, make it something beautiful, it really shouldn't have anything to do with how many social media followers you are. But the sad part is, is that the movie business has become all too much about a business and not even so much anymore about creativity that's why i want my festival preserved that i get to take any story i want and if my judges like it and i'm not associated with them and i i screen it that people will actually see these movies and they don't have to wait for hollywood to release them it's a sad sad thing to see words die on a piece of paper you know yeah
1: yeah absolutely and i know um I, for one, am a sucker for a good story. So, ah. and I know, I know that one of the things that I've I've hated about Hollywood over the last ten years is sort of the uh, declining quality of stories and the oh, increasing yeah. budget of telling subpar stories. Um, right. So, <laughs> and like I like the thing that probably drives me the most nuts is this um, insistence that we have what I call Mary Jane characters, ah. which. Are are fe- female characters who are not heroes, right? They're not heroines right. in their own story. Just everything goes good for them because they're girls. And I'm like, right. that's not the kind of story. I've got three daughters. I want them to see heroines, right? Who have struggles and have to overcome them and be heroes. Right. So you have to have and we know we can do it because there's lots of female characters that are like that with, you know, like Princess Leia or um, one of my favorite female heroes is uh, Trinity from the, the Matrix. You can write interesting, good female characters. And in the last four or five years, it seems like we've had a lot of very sad female characters who are just I call them Mary Janes. Just everything goes well for them because they're women.
0: Absolutely, that's part of the reason why I think. I mean, oftentimes when people ask me who I am, I say I'm a four perk combination. So there's Wonder Woman, Maleficent because I don't trust very easily. Harley Quinn is very high on my list. Now yeah. talk about coming overcoming adversity. Well, not always. Yeah. In you know, and then somebody called me Glenda's a good witch. So I'm like a combination of all four of those. Be the perfect superhero for Cindy.
1: That's awesome. So um, yeah, I just I know personally I would like to see um, more real heroes, like in the yeah. story, and actually following that hero's journey. Um, yes. And it seems like seems like Hollywood sort of lost that recently, where they're they're not telling as many of the hero's arcs.
0: Absolutely. And I really hope that uh, Gal Gadot never watches this interview, because what I'm about to say would probably, oh my god, Wonder Woman hate me. But it made me somewhat sad, because with a budget of millions and millions and millions, Wonder Woman 84, which I've seen, hopefully you've seen it. So this is somewhat of a spoiler alert, just to say that with all those millions, I could have made thousands of indie movies. I mean, it was very disappointing um, on some levels to see the end product. I mean, I think they did as good as they could, but yeah, that's when, like you said, the money, all the money that gets put into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're um, like, they, uh, you're like, you got to get the story, right? Like you have right? to, I want to fall in love with the character, with the heroine or the hero. And if you yes. don't get that part, the all the money you spend on the fancy effects does not, Thank you. doesn't matter. Thank you very much. (laughs) Sounds like we agree on that. So I want to, I want to know the flip side of your common enemy then, right? If your common enemy is the politics and everything and the monolithic culture there in Hollywood, your driving force is the flip side, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you fight for with your company?
0: I think all of them. um, It's simple. I mean, there's no it's not a surprise that almost everything is called art is alive. Uh, it literally is to keep the, the art alive, meaning that the art of cinema or the art of art, so to speak, I think oftentimes people be little and they don't mean to, I just don't think that they have enough of an appreciation that an art form can be anything from a piece of writing to a sculpture to, you know, a biker that, you know, composes something uh, as far as a tattoo. So, uh, you know, I fight to preserve not only art, but also to open up the doors so that people all over the country will know someone. I think it's very important that, Indies need attention and uh, appreciation, and I can't tell you how much appreciation I get from filmmakers and artists and people in the indie world who feel like no one sees them, no one will ever see their work, and they feel like giving up. So I fight every day so that somebody reads something that I said or does something and says, I didn't give up or I didn't give in.
1: So I have I have an interesting thought that um, I think goes along with the whole idea that the art is alive. Yes. And and my my idea um, is something I heard from um, Orson Scott Card. Actually, you familiar with him? He's an author. No. Um, he he writes the Ender's Game series of books. Which, ah,
0: uh, okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: So he, um, you know, well, the Ender's Game I think is uh, it's the best-selling science fiction novel every year since 1978. They they oh sell out gosh. their prints every single year.
0: Oh goodness! Um, Look at that. So,
1: anyways. They're like the Lord of the Rings of the fantasy world. They're just you know, ah, on science okay. fiction. But anyways, so um, at the end of all of his books, he has a chapter where he, he has like a reflections of the author kind of thing. Yes. And one of the things he talked about as a writer, he's like, I only ever write half of a story. Right. And the other half of the story is put together when someone reads it. Ah. Right. And so the whole idea that the art is alive is that without someone to watch your film or read your story. Yeah. Um, it's it's dead, right? So you have to have someone yeah. who's engaging with it, right? Who shows yeah. up at the art gallery and contemplates the art you have hanging on the wall yes. or watches the movie in the cinema in order for it to come alive. Cause it comes alive in their head. It comes, yes. it, that's when it, that's when it comes alive. And I'm curious, is that sort of what you mean is that where you're going with that idea?
0: I, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, I've seen it. That's part of the reason why I mentioned to you earlier about artists live magazine. That's why I have no apprehension. And I do take some flack for it all the time. Like how can you own a magazine and, and literally publish work from someone who's never written before? Well, I'm the boss, so I can, but more importantly, <laughs> I mean, I can remember being told again and again and again. No, no, we're not publishing. We're not publishing. Everybody has that story when you first start out. Don't like it. Don't want it. We're not publishing you. And after like a 100 times, finally someone did. But why should it have to be that hard? You know, I don't think it should. And then writers get discouraged and then they quit. And so ask yourself if Stephen King had been told over and over again, no. What would have happened? You know, so I think that uh, I owe it. It's almost a public service or in some ways I'm a public servant, so to speak. It's important that people realize that if they just give up, You never really realize the effect you have on someone till you start doing some of this, till you start publishing certain things, till the word of mouth comes. And then all of a sudden this person meets this person, then they're making more art. And this person's making more art. Um, For my festival, filmmakers come together and they've made projects together. They've cast people from there. So you see what I mean? It's just a net that keeps getting wider and wider. So, you know, uh, the biggest, most important thing for me to be able to keep artists alive is to be able to keep, keep that flicker going. You know, the light has to stay on. Somebody has to man the lighthouse, you know? And lately I was just asking myself this question yesterday. I'm like, well, you want to keep running this lighthouse? Cause I have an opportunity to stop. I I mean, that's, I'm literally kind of wonder when, when she's on the ground and asking herself, you know, where, what am I going to do here? I'm kind of right now, literally contemplating whether I want to keep the lighthouse or, actually close the lighthouse and move on to the next thing <laughs> as yeah. we speak I, I have these opportunities so we'll see but i like me i like manning the lighthouse i like keeping the light on it's important period
1: yeah yeah so my next question for you is more practical um yeah. and i call this a hero's tool belt and you just mm-hmm. like every superhero has you know a tool belt with awesome gadgets like batarangs and web slingers and laser eyes and such <laughs> like that. i talk about one or two tools you couldn't live without to run your business. Right? It could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to your marketing tools to something you use to sit down every time you write um, or to, you know, attract writers. Anything you think is essential to getting your job done every day?
0: Sure. Uh, paper. I know that that sounds very cliche, but it's true. I mean, I am an, a very old school writer. Everything that I've ever written has been on paper, even to this day. I refuse to sit down on a laptop and just organically create. I just can't do it. I mean, I suppose I could, but I prefer not to. First of all, laptops crash. I think people put too much knowledge into this. Oh, it'll be fine. You know, we can trust our laptop. No, you can't. What if you wrote a whole story and all of a sudden it got burned to the ground somehow? You know, so I think it's important to stick with the old school stuff. I have a typewriter. I haven't used it in forever. I probably will. But, you know, anything old school relative to writing, I I do flip my pens around. There are certain ones I like, but by and large paper is something I cannot live without because I cannot do my job. Um, Second of all, I think, uh, I hate to admit it, this whole emotional thing that I talk so much about uh, being such a challenge, it's also part of my tool belt. Um, Some of the best things I've ever written, including the things for my better half, come from that innate sense of passion that I have, whether it's good or bad. Meaning if I feel very, very strongly about, well, I'm writing a piece about the Screen Actors Guild. I can't even tell you how passionate I feel about some of those items that you'll read eventually. So that fuels me, I need to be fueled. And the more uh, frustrated or happy or excited I am about something, the better I can write. Um, number three, oftentimes uh, pictures, pictures of my children, pictures of my significant other, etc. It's important to me that when I get frustrated, I can look around in, in this room and this is where I do most of my writing and and see something comforting you know, that's always got to be in your tool belt. And most importantly, just um, words, there's always these words I keep in my head. Some of them are negative. Most of them are positive. Always have to have that you always have to remind yourself to keep going. No matter where you came from, you have to keep going forward, no matter how hard it is. That's it.
1: So I have I have a question for you and this is just cuz something I've noticed about myself. I don't do a lot of writing with pen and paper. I do most of mine on the computer cuz I, I think better with a keyboard. I also can I, I can write like 100 words a minute on the, on the keyboard <laughs> and on the pad of paper it's like 5 words a minute. So it's just sure. more efficient for me. But but I have recently just in an effort to learn how to bring the old school stuff yes. gotten into writing with fancy pens, right? Like oh, the cool. the fountain <laughs> with with fountain pens right so like the 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 old school like you dip this in ink and you suck the ink into it kind of thing and learn to write with it all old school style and one of the things I've noticed about getting into a fancy writing tool is I care a lot more about my paper and about my writing when I write in person when I have something like this and I'm just curious Mm. if you've ever had any experiences like that if like the quality of your writing tools has ever impacted your desire to sit down and write.
0: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, not yet. It hasn't. I mean, I have looked at getting a a custom pen like yours. Cause I'm like, you know, it's at that point where I should get like a feather pen or I should get like, you know, if nothing else for the experience part of it, you know what I mean? I'm more of a believer that it isn't so much what you write with as much as it is what you are writing about. So it's really more about subject versus the actual, you know, particular style of tool that you have. You know what I mean? I mean, it's neat. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely going the direction you're talking about. And I definitely feel like there are certain pens that make me write more effectively that don't blurt as much. That don't make as much of a mess. That don't leak or run. But yeah, always substance. Yeah. My, to...
1: uh, my. This is my my little practice book. Like learning how to ah, uh, learning like how it. to how to do cool. um, handwriting. And part of part of the thing that I've always it's always bothered me about writing by hand is that my handwriting is terrible. Ah. And so, like, if I write it, I have a hard time reading it later. To like, if I need to transcribe it and turn it digital to put it as a book or print it out okay. or anything. And I was like, if I'm ever going to be able to use some of these cool old school tools, I need to work on my handwriting. So that's where I'm at now It's like, I picked up a nice pen and I picked up a nice notebook and I've been learning how to do handwriting at a high level um, Mm. so that I would, I would not always just default to writing with my keyboard.
0: Gotcha. I'm impressed. Uh, And
1: so it's just, just sort of a a little side hobby. My wife thinks I'm nuts because I spent like a hundred bucks on calligraphy and handwriting and paper stuff. And I was like, I was like, I just. I just want to get good at it and I'm Absolutely. not yet, but I'm getting there. Um, good for you. <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of in that tool belt for writers. You know, if you're going to write, sometimes it's nice to write with pen and paper and I want it to actually, you know, look like, like I want it to, the story not to be the only part of the art.
0: If right. that makes no. sense. I don't like disagree with at all. Yeah. It's very, very I think
1: very that, maybe I'm, maybe that's weird, but that's, <laughs> that's the way I feel about Nothing it.
0: Nothing weird about it. Do what makes you happy.
1: Awesome. Speaking of heroic tools, I want to take a few minutes to tell you about a tool we built that powers the hero show and is now this show's primary sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster, having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. The struggle ends now. Introducing Pushbutton Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcasts.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. So I wanna talk then a little bit about your own personal heroes right Um, uh, and you know every hero has their mentors right and you know just like Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan or Robert Kiyosaki his rich dad or Spider-Man had his uncle Ben who are some of your heroes were they real life mentors were they speakers or authors maybe um peers who were a couple of years ahead of you how and how important were they to what you've accomplished so far
0: mentors okay so I think that those are pretty straightforward I want to say um Judy Bloom, I think, from the writing perspective, if it wasn't for Judy Bloom, I wouldn't be a writer now. Uh, I can remember Judy Bloom from young on. I can remember her now. Um, you know, just I remember every single thing I ever read from her and just wanting to be her in essence. So, I mean, what greater mentorship is that than finding someone who you just adore her writing? I just bought a Judy Bloom book not so long ago at my old age. My kids have read Judy Bloom. So, definitely without a doubt, Nan Roddy. Um, who I've always said this, who is adorable. She was my elementary school teacher who ended up catching me cheating. Literally, I, I got in trouble. And then she wrote a note home. And then I faked my dad's signature. Anyways, she eventually convinced me to submit my work to a writing contest, which is the very first award I ever won. So she saw something in me that I didn't. Um, so definitely a mentor. Um, over the course of years, my heroes are simple people. Um, yeah. First of all, my children, some of my children have had, you know, my son Kerwin is probably one of my biggest heroes. I've been very vocal about uh, his struggle with seizures for years at a time. He's fortunately now seizure free, but um, he just keeps getting up and smiling and, uh, it was an awful time. So he's my hero. All of my children really are my heroes. They're so happy and passionate and they know their direction. They're so smart. They're so much smarter than their mother. <laughs> I was so misguided at their <laughs> ages. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So they're my heroes. Honestly, truthfully, at this day today, um, you know, my significant other is my hero. He uh, every day he gets up and he reminds me that I'm far better and that I need to like myself a whole lot more and that I'm. A wonderful woman. Um, And that's not something I had before, but most importantly, my final hero would be any person that wakes up and says to themselves, I don't want to live, but I do. I don't want to try this, but I do. I'm scared, but I'll, I'll, I'll attempt it. And literally, literally never gives up no matter how hard it gets. That is really the definition of a hero.
1: My, uh, I love that. Um, all the whole thing, but, um, so on, on the first bit, it always surprised me when I got on and started doing the show, how many people, when I asked that question, respond with the same way you did, right? With people who, who, you know, it's their, their husband, their uncle, their t- school yes. teacher, right? It's the people who probably, if you ask them, they wouldn't think to themselves, yeah, that person thinks I'm their hero, Right. Is, it sure. wouldn't even cross their mind. Sure. Um, and so it always reminds me that, like, hey, we should always sort of be acting in a way that we're worthy of that kind of um, influence, right? Because you have it, whether you know it or not. Sure. Uh, so that's that's the first one. I really like that. But the that last bit about being the kind of person who never gives up, I have uh, my favorite quote is from a uh, Winston Churchill, I believe, who says, you know, never, ever, 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 ever give up. And I think he says it like twenty-seven times. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> but uh, but anyways. I have um, my my sort of the the advice I give my children all the time is that there's no competition for real men or real women anymore because most people give up and hmm. if you'll just be the one person who doesn't give up doesn't matter what it is you're pursuing <laughs> you will be you know you can you can reach the top of any category you want by persistence sure. uh, by never giving up And, um, you know, I, I know uh, like my son, for instance, when he was seven, he was in gymnastics, um, and he had one of his little buddies, um, who was, you know, a natural born talent in gymnastics, like the kind of, kind of kid that he goes out there and he's six years old and he can do a backhand spring back tuck with like perfect form and everything and not even have to try. And like my son has to try. He had to practice and he had to try hard and he had to work with his coaches and he had to get better at it because he was terrible and he had to get good. Um, and he was always, he'd come come to me and be like, why is he so much better than me? And I was like, the difference is that he has a natural talent and he doesn't have to try. And so he doesn't, right? He doesn't try. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, the difference is like, if you wanted to get competitive with gymnastics, which he didn't, but you know, he was a young kid at the time. But if you wanted if you wanted to get competitive your ability to come in and work every day on your craft will make you far more competitive than he'll ever be. Mm. Right. Because you're willing to try and never give up. Oh, right. right and work Absolutely. At it. and it's like now if you if you marry those two together, right? You have natural talent and the never give up persistence, then you end up with Olympians or whatever the analogous oh. is in other industries. But sure. but you know, that's that's you can compete at a really high level in any space with persistence.
0: Oh, I agree with you. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) I love that. Uh, So I got one more question for you, and that's your guiding principles, right? So one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. Yes. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, let's talk about the top one, maybe two priorities that you use regularly in your life. Maybe Mm. something you you wish you knew when you first started out on your own hero's journey.
0: Well, I think that uh, one of my go-tos, without a doubt, a principal um, thing, which this doesn't always suit my purposes well, which is um, you never, ever, ever do anything or give anything to anyone that goes against your character. I have done that once or twice and only once or twice, which I will never do again, um, personal relationships and professional relationships should not cross boundaries ever. There should never be a point where if someone's truly your friend they ask you for something or demand something of you professionally which has been done of me and I and I caved. Again that will never happen again. Those lines shouldn't blur. So that's, you know, that's always something you need to learn. Keep your friends on one side of the fence. Help them as much as you can, obviously. It goes without saying. Period. Even strangers sometimes. Do what you can to help someone. But when it becomes something that you are personally against, that's when you know that you need to not be doing it. Second of all, never let your professional endeavors outshadow your personal ones. Um, I work in a business where not every publicist or people understand that if I have an emergency, all bets are off. If I'm not home because my child needs something, all bets are off. If, you know, there's an emergency right now, I will. Dump you and leave in a heartbeat when it comes to someone I love or my children. That's important to remember. Uh, And most importantly, when figuring out your priorities, and I know this is so against the grain, never, ever pick a field or a place to go down career-wise or otherwise that makes you tons of money. I don't care what people tell you. The reason I'm a happy writer is because I'm broke all the time. Um, And I I don't mean to say like broke, destitute. But the reality is not all of us can be Stephen King. So, you know, when you look at the priority, you have to pick happiness and personal pleasure and personal passion well above what you make. Otherwise, you're going to end up being very miserable, fighting demons all of the time of different natures that you never knew existed. So, you know, the secret here is to always pick the right thing, always go the right direction, never choose evil over good. And most importantly, never, ever, ever let them know what's coming. Always keep it a secret. Like if you when you come on my show, I will never tell you my interview questions ahead of time. Always a secret always, you always have to hide a little something. And then bam, it comes out in the end. And then they're always so surprised. And then people cry, and they're all happy. And it's nice. It's a nice event. Did that make sense? That's kind of it uh,
1: does. I really like I really like the, uh, the, the whole thing about pursuing happiness over money. Um, and it's one of the things that I've learned um, is, you know, early in my career, I had a target income I was trying to hit. Sure. And I ran my business based on trying to hit that target income. Um, and I did eventually hit that target income. Actually, I didn't. I, I got like three quarters of the way to that target income. Okay. Um, okay. And, and then I realized like I had all the money I wanted. Hmm. And I was like, it just didn't matter anymore. Right, um, right, And so instead, I started building my business on how I could help people. Ah. And then my business surpassed the target income very rapidly.
0: See? <laughs> See what I mean? There you and, go.
1: Yeah. So it, it's absolutely a principle, but it's one of those things that as a young entrepreneur, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was um, I was enamored by the money. Sure.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and, and who isn't? You know? Yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, look, Hollywood, my nemesis. Hello. <laughs>
1: All about the money. She so I completely agree with you on, on uh, that set. Um, and just out of curiosity on the last thing you said about keeping everything a secret. Um, yes. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Sun's do in The Art of War. It says, you know, move move in darkness like the blackness of night or something like that. And then at the last moment, strike like like thunder kind of yes. thing. And I've always sort of figured like that. It's, it's always done in a war analogy, but I always sort of figured it works really well in storytelling, too, where you have you have something that is surprising something that's that nobody sort of knew was happening um, oh, yes. that you you couldn't you couldn't guess if you were reading the story and that's what when when you get the real, honest surprise and delight is when that happens.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and sometimes I'm even surprised when I get to the very end of something I've written, it doesn't look like it did in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like I started off on one path and then ultimately at the end, I was like, oh, look, it took an interesting twist. Some, most of the time, that's a good thing. Every once in a while, it's like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. But that's the only part where I think Wonder Woman and I vary, meaning that, you know, she whips that lasso out and all of a sudden they're telling the truth in three seconds flat, you get everything you need out of them right away. Whereas with me, it's sort of a tenderizing sort of, okay, you gotta get to that point, you know, as far as that goes, you know. Um, But I do like, I like watching the story unfold. I like not knowing that it's gonna be the same at the end. You know what I mean? I think that's that's the whole neat part of the art part of it is that sort of thing. And most importantly, like I said, Getting the favorable response at the end, because I never know when I write something, what if they hate it? Like I write it and I'll be like, yeah, no one's going to like this. They're not even going to want to read it. And surprisingly, that's when they're like, oh, no, it's wonderful. So it's amazing to me how these little tricks that you do can can end up, you know, just leaps and bounds having such favorable outcomes. You know what I mean?
1: Have you watched a movie called Knives Out?
0: Yes, with my children when it first came out at the theater, by the way, folks. Yeah,
1: I, watched it, I watched it at the theater with a friend. Um, and it's one of those movies I walked in with low expectations, right? Because it's a, a oh, mystery. Sure. And I walked out of the movie going, that was legitimately really, really well done storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and my favorite line from that movie, which I've brought up a couple of times on this show, is the uh, the detective. Where he comes in and, they, and they, the one the female character asks him, like, how do you always find the truth. And he said, I follow the arc of the story. Right. And as long as you follow the arc of the story, it ends unerringly at the truth. Sure. Um, and that's always sort of struck me as, you know, I've, I'm always, um, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. If you're following politics. If you're doing marketing, if you're um, writing a story is you just, you have to learn how to follow the story, the way the story mm-hmm. feels natural. And it always unerringly ends mm-hmm. with you know, to use the truth in a metaphorical sense, it ends up in a really good story, sure. right? Um, <laughs> so anyways, I just, that's, that's uh, my, my sort of thought on that is that you sort of, you have to learn how to see the arc of the story and then and then fit your characters and fit your stuff into it. And you know. Oh,
0: you bet. You bet. That's why I think most people, when they watch a good television show, I'm like, I don't think you guys really realize that without a good, solid, strong, sturdy arc, sometimes things can go awry, so to speak. So I find it interesting when I do a review and then I'll go on fan pages and I'll read it and I'll be like, they're complaining about this and this. And I'm like, are you really getting the, the arc of the story are you really seeing where it's going from here to here to here are you watching that yeah. but maybe that's just what writers do you know what i mean it's I mean, just that's what us crazy I'm...
1: people do we follow we follow the crazy. we follow the arc of the story instead Imagine of that, yeah.
0: you know yes i do think writers <laughs> are, are crazy people that's right we are nuts nuttier than a fruitcake nothing wrong with that very good creativity
1: yeah i i agree with you yes. so that's basically a wrap on our interview, but I do finish every interview with a simple challenge that I call the heroes challenge. Uh-oh. And I do this specifically to help me get access to stories that I might not otherwise find on my own. Cause not everyone is out there doing the podcast rounds like you might be doing. Oh yeah. So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show? First person that comes to mind for you.
0: Oh, God, the very first person I can think of. Oh, goodness. Um. Oh, it's got to be MJ because I just saw her recently. MJ Padone is her name. She is a publicist, actually. She's owned her business for quite some time. She's a native New Yorker. Um, she's a superhero. I've never let her, never, ever, ever lets the world see her sweat. You know, she could be in the worst predicament possible, but she's tough as nails. She is just brilliant with her clients. I mean, she is literally what I say I want to be when I grow up. One of my icons is her. Um, She'll probably never come on the show because I can't even interview her. I've asked to interview her. I'm like, come on, MJ. She's very, um, she's very centered around her clients. But, you know, she would be the very first go-to I would think of would be MJ. She just, she never gives up. She never gives in.
1: We we will try our best to get her on the show and see if we can get her to come tell her story. Um, But yeah, that is uh, super cool. So, Thank you for, for that. And, you know, in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who are standing and cheering for the acts of heroism. Right. Mm -hmm. So as we close, I want to know where people can find you. They want your help in the future, right? Where can they go to light up the bat signal um, Um, and say, you know what, I would like to read your stories or watch your films or be a part of your world. Um, And, you know, outside of where they can do that is who are the best sorts of people to reach out?
0: Well, I was just going to say, normally, like I said in the beginning, art, anything, but it's not just limited to art. So artists, authors, musicians, you name it, anything that falls under the art realm. I do a lot of nonprofits. I do a lot of small business owners. I do um, just about anything that intrigues me. So if you have an event, an activity, a place you own, anything you want covered, I pretty much am an easy sell, so to speak. So the most direct route, of course, is email, which is the CIN4251 at gmail.com www.theartisalivemagazine.com. That's the magazine itself. The name of my festival is Art is Alive Film Festival. All you have to do is Google it. You'll find me on Film Freeway. You'll find the website. Um, I do have a second film festival that's all black and white, Bedford Falls Film Festival. You can find me there. Um, the other thing is that my radio show is now going into its 10th year. It's called Sin's Check Corner, which is on Blog Talk Radio. Um, otherwise, my name, you know, my name is Cindy. Last name is M-I-C-H. Somebody told me not so long ago that if you took a combination of Wonder Woman and uh, put together with a modern day Dick Cavett, you would have the best definition of me. Um, So that's a a very high, high compliment. But yeah, Cindy, M-I-C-H is my last name. And I'm all over social media because I have to be. But yeah, that's pretty much it. So usually, though, keep in mind that most oftentimes I'm out there looking for you. So you don't have to look for me necessarily. I come out and look for you
1: awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Cindy. It's been awesome chatting with you and hearing your story. Do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for our audience before I click the stop record button?
0: Yeah, I would say, um, remember this, and I said this not so long ago to someone, um, you are never too old to start on your journey to finding yourself. You're never too old to try something new, invent something new, discover something new. And most importantly, never, ever, ever think there should ever be a point in time where you give up on something no matter how many times somebody tells you not to do it or they tell you no keep trying and keep pursuing and keep pushing that's the best i got absolutely
1: thank you so much for coming today cindy